Welcome to Meet the New Boss, a riveting podcast series exploring how business leaders make their way in the world and how music has influenced who they have become. Here are your hosts, Vince Catanzaro and Jeff Neaver. All right, welcome to another episode of Meet the New Boss. This is your co-host Jeff Neaver. With me always is... Vince Catanzaro. Vince Catanzaro. How you doing, Vince? I'm doing fantastic, Jeff. This is going to be released in the 2025 summer season, probably. That's how far behind we are. But right now, <laughs> it's coming up to Thanksgiving 2021 is the season. We're not quite there, but it's upon us. And we have a guest here today. I'm going to introduce our guest. Normally, Vince, because he knows everybody on the planet, finds all our guests. Lauren is someone that I met and invited on. And so I'm going to take the chance to introduce Lauren to our team. Good uh, good evening, Lauren. How are you doing? Good evening. I am doing very well today. Cool. So Lauren Smith is with us. She is a certified board certified coach. She's a TEDx speaker. She does growth mindset training. She's a company culture consultant. And as we, we got to meet each other just through LinkedIn, really, we both went to uh, the greatest university. <laughs> really, there's the Sorbonne, there is uh, Harvard, and then what a lot of people call the Harvard of East Alabama is Auburn University, the greatest War college, Eagle. War Eagle. So we are commiserating a little bit on our, uh, our football team this but if you're not with us when they're down, then how can you be with us when they're up? So we're eagle. Welcome, Lauren. How are you? Beautiful. I'm I'm still going to just, since I'm from Baton Rouge, still reeling off of us finally beating LSU. Yes. My son and I were <laughs> at that game. He's, oh, uh, he turns 18 next week. We have been for the last, you know, since he's been in high school, trying to go to an away SEC game every every year. Nice. Um, which is kind of a production, but we so we went to we went to New Orleans. It was his first time in New Orleans. We stayed there. <clears throat> we drove there, which is forever, and then we <laughs> drove it to Baton Rouge, watched the game, and thought we were going to lose the whole game. We just looked kind of down, and then all of a sudden, a few minutes left, and man, we're winning this game. We won this game. We won. <laughs> it's crazy. So, um, welcome to the show. It's very exciting that you're here. Um, Thank you. Happy to be here. Yep, yep. Vince, are you ready for Thanksgiving? Are you? Let's talk about Thanksgiving I, for two seconds. I, yes, I am ready. And uh, welcome, Lauren. So glad to have you on the show. Um, I am uh, pretty ready for Thanksgiving. You know, it's weird. We kind of had this weird supply chain thing going on. So I was uh, uh, aggressive on getting uh, our turkey nice. and uh, and some like uh, bits of brickle we make for an apple dip. The what? Um, What's it called? Bit, bits of brickle. It's like toffee. Yeah, you know, that must be some really, New Jersey thing or Philly. What are you talking about? You don't know what toffee is? I know what toffee is. You didn't so say toffee. You said brits of brittle. Yes, yeah, it is. It's uh, so it's it's I've crushed up. It's crushed up right, toffee. Then. So if, <laughs> in New Orleans, the culinary Louisiana culinary capital of the United States. Uh, <laughs> no, no, neither Lauren they, or I. They heard say of. that that's a that's some brickle. <laughs> <laughs> Who says that? Nobody. I made, Nobody. I made it up. That's I made true. it up. Do you cook? Uh, Are you cooking something with the detritus of brittle? 
Or we're making apple dip with it. But I, I do whatever my wife tells me to do. So pretty much from Friday afternoon through the next weekend, I will be at the service of my family. And as my wife tells me, things that need to be done, I will be doing them. So That's uh, great. How about you, Lauren? Are you uh, in charge of Thanksgiving or you eschew no, no, the no. whole tradition or you enjoy I, <laughs> a seat at the table? I enjoy a seat at the table. I, I'm a good sous chef. Um, I can assist very well with all of the wonderful things my family makes, but I like to leave it to the experts. Um, my mom and my aunt and my grandmother, they do an amazing mm, job. That sounds like a great trifecta there. Yes, yes. I actually do much of the cooking. I, uh, I, I would be the executive chef, I think, if the three of us had to put together Thanksgiving dinner. Sounds like. Sounds yes. like Vince might be in charge of mise en place, supply chain, cleanup, <laughs> right? That's it pretty much, yes. That is pretty much it. Supply right. chain. Supply chain and cleanup, maintenance. Yes, yes. Awesome. Well, let's talk, let's get into a little bit, and, and, and Lauren, ultimately we want to hear mostly about you. And I think one thing that, you know, as we connected, I wanted to invite you to be on the, um, on the podcast was these additional roles. I mean, you have a normal job, I think, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. And we want to hear about that a little bit, but you have these extraordinarily cool jobs that I think uh, bear a little bit of digging into. The board certified coach, TEDx speaker, growth mindset trainer, and company culture consultant. Man, I mm -hmm. think if I was 15, those might have been all things that I wish I were when I grew up. And so oh, I'm, nice. <laughs> I'm very excited to hear how did you, you know, uh, get into that and, and what do they really look like and, and, and just hear more about it. Yes. So I got into them really out of like following the flow of what you enjoy doing and making connections with people that support those things. Um, so it's been a goal of mine to definitely be on the larger TEDx stage. Um, and I set out to just go to a TEDx event mm. and ended up having a conversation with the person about a TEDx event that they um, were doing at LSU. Um, I'm sorry, not LSU, in Baton Rouge mm -hmm. um, at Auctioner, which is a medical entity that mm. houses most of our um, medical services throughout the state. And they were having a TEDx conference, and I just put in an application after that conversation. Like, I really would love to participate in this. And they said, just talk about what you want to talk about. My passion, of hmm. course, is change because I'm a coach. Yeah. And so I talked about change and talked about how being authentic really drives that and, and deciding what it is you want. And basically they were like, oh, this is amazing because this is a this is our topic. Their topic was really? transformation. Yes. I had no idea their topic was what, transformation. Now, about how long, I don't want to date us all, but about how long ago was this? This was two years ago. Okay. So, okay, cool. This was about two years ago now. So... Before COVID or just after? Before, right before COVID. Right before COVID. So this was, oh, yes. You know, when you do the two years thing and you forget that COVID was a whole almost two, <laughs> year and a half. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this was uh, June 2019. Okay. So the, the, the TEDx itself was June 2019, and we talked about transformation, 
Um, and, and it really just flows through all of the work that I do. So when you talk about growth mindset training, when you talk about company culture training, um, my goal is to help people decide what it is they really want out of an interaction, out of a career, out of life, and then help them make the adjustments in a most natural way to their personality, to their needs and their values, and then get them there. So Lauren, was there like a pinnacle event that took place in your life or something that, you know, kind of sent you onto this journey that you ended up in, in this uh, world of coaching and being a speaker and working on culture? I would love for it to have been a, like a pinnacle. That sounds like <laughs> a great story to tell. <laughs> um, really what got me into it was um, I had a, what I call a Band-Aid job. I was working uh, at a federal credit union doing um, paperwork, basically, um, as an in-between from moving from one state to another and just refusing to not work. So I had this Band-Aid job, and I realized while I was doing that, I needed to be connected with people and changing lives versus scrolling through paperwork. So I decided to look back into how I could do that. And I started my career as a psychologist um, or Mm. in psychology, And so I was an in-home family therapist and I wanted to get back into helping directly. But uh, something that was going to be a little bit more authentic to my personal personality and just not so focused on the past. And so that's how I found coaching. And, you know, to your point, if I would have heard of coaching when I was 15, I would be in a completely different place in my career. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear about coaching until after I'd already gone to grad school and after I'd already been in, you know, in my career for about eight years. So um, I decided this is what I want to do. And I love to talk. I love to help people mm-hmm. to understand. You know, it's one of those things. I'm from a, a very boisterous um, family that loves to tell jokes and entertain. And so it just kind of all meshes together very well. That's why I tell people we're the quiet Italian family next door. Yeah. <laughs> so you could you could you could work in like a horrific paper cut story into that time at the credit union. That's like, you know, this paper cut is so bad. Changed I'm not my doing, life. Changed uh, my life. Yeah. yeah. So how was it the first TEDx speech? How many people were in the room? I think a lot of people, you know, in our audience and people that I know are very comfortable speaking at a small gathering. But then imagining going on to maybe the next level, there's a little bit of angst and uh, and, and butterflies. And so mm-hmm. I wonder if you can walk us through what, you know, what was that like, that first kind of moment of, you know, how prepared were you? I've heard some people talk about, oh, your TEDx speech, you should write it out. You should essentially yes. memorize it. Yes. What was your approach and how did that, how did that yes. work? My approach was definitely listen to those who went before me that knew what they were talking about (laughs) and sounded amazing um, and impacted me when I listened to their TEDx. So definitely lots of practice. I practice actually at a nonprofit that I coach with now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I practice with their staff. I practice with my family and friends. Um, At at that point, I realized how much I actually don't like being on film Mm -hmm. um, because I had to practice. Yes, I had to videotape myself and I had to send in the video. And oh my god, I was like, oh no, this is horrible. I'm not. Even though I love taking pictures, apparently I don't like also speaking Mm. at the same time. um, (laughs) You know, with the camera there. So, so that's a very interesting thing I, I learned about myself through that process. But 
I had done a couple of different speaking engagements with, um, you know, a couple of hundred people before, whether it be like at work or trainings um, with that nonprofit that I did the practice with. Mm -hmm. And so the large crowd wasn't, definitely wasn't a thing of making me nervous. It was more so the taping. Like I knew this was going to be recorded. Mm -hmm. um, and that was what made me so super nervous. And so I decided to focus on the audience and not mm -hmm. focus on that, the fact that the cameras are around um, and really, you know, kind of think about what I was talking about. And, and my talk was very heavily focused on authentically being you, like focusing on the inside. And so I just focused on me, spoke from my heart. And I think that made the world a difference. So behind the scenes at the TEDx, when I guess there's multiple speakers, right, coming, yes. coming up, right? So did you have walkout music that you walked out to? I did. And they picked the walkout music because I was just so nervous about like trying to make it match well that it took me too long. I was like, y'all know the topic. So hmm. go ahead and, and pick the music. Um, and it was also one of those things where, you know, when you're so nervous, you don't really hear some of the things that are happening around you. I have no idea what the song was. <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy because I'm such a musically prepared person. So on the way to the TEDx, um, I have a playlist called Fill in My Cup and I sat in my car and I listened to that and I like hyped myself up and prior to being in that situation, I'm using the music, you know, but right at the moment walking on stage, it's like I'd already let my inspiration seep in. Wow. What's so let's let's hit some highlights of that playlist. Mm -hmm. It's called Fill in My Cup. Yes. Yes. Let's, what are some of the top, you know, the top songs that that. Get you going there. So some of my top songs are definitely by Beyonce, Alicia Keys, um, Jay-Z. So Beyonce has a song called Freedom mm -hmm. um, that just, I could run five miles. Listen, like, it just gets me very mm. um, into, like, understanding that I can do this no matter what. Um, and then there is a song called... Um, oh, now my brain I was escaping me. But it's yep. from an artist, actually, outside of Louisiana. Um, mm -hmm. Her name is Lauren, and she does inspirational music. Um, I love her to death, and I can't believe that my brain is not um, allowing me to remember the name of the song. That's all right. It'll pop back in. It will, it'll definitely come to my mind at, at some point. Um, and so, so that's definitely one of them. And um, another one that I, I really just it always like makes me happy is this song called Morris Brown and it's a it's technically like an old school song at this point in life because I realized how long it was I was in college um so Outkast has a song um there's another artist on it called Scar and Sleepy Brown but Morris Brown is really like a love song but it's got mm. the HBCU band in the background mm. and that's a part of like my upbringing and just being in this place where music, not only do you hear, but you can feel the instruments like reverberating through your body. Right. Um, so that live band sound always just gets me like in a good mood and just happy. So I, I, I know HBCU, you know, Unicolleges University. So is, mm -hmm. are you saying there's like an all-star band, like a jazz ensemble that collects from all those 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 uh, colleges? Or I've never heard the term like uh, as a generic. I've seen many of the 
of the colleges, and I, you know, I get it. It's great, but is mm-hmm. there some sort of weird all-star team that I'm not aware of? So yeah, no, there's actually <laughs> not an all-star team, but there's this collective sound that they have. Okay. Like I okay. can, if I'm at a football game and there's mm-hmm. two game, two teams playing, they're like one of these is an HBC. They're not. Well, they won't tell you, and I would be able to say, oh, one of those is an yeah. HBCU band, yeah, because they no. just have this certain song, and there's certain like popular songs that they will play. Um, and so yeah, it's a, it's it's a sound that you can kind of hear mm-hmm. in in the rhythm and in the feel of it. I was going to ask you, is it Lauren Daigle? Lauren Daigle, you wow, got Vince, it. Did you know that? That's amazing. No, good I, job. I, uh, I, yeah, I'm going to take credit. Oh, I knew it. Good, I yeah. Know. You're a good big, huge <laughs> fan. So, Lauren, I want to hear a little bit. We talk about this uh, pivotal point in our lives, how it, uh, music begins to infuse us. And we, we kind of start life maybe listening to what our parents listen to. Then I perceive that most of us go through a, we just kind of listen to what's on the radio at 10, 11, 12, sort of. But like 13, 14, maybe even 15, we start to declare, this is more who I am, and this is the music that I'm choosing that's going to reflect who I am. And I think in a lot of cases, we kind of ride that out, right? You know? Yes. So when you were 13, you know, 12, 13, 14, I don't want to date you again, but kind of what was on you know, your, you know, your radar as far as, you know, this isn't really just a kind of a top 40 thing. It's not something my mom's or dad's playing, whatever. It's maybe uh, something a little more personal. What, who, what artists mm-hmm. kind of spring to mind when you talk through that? Well, I actually have to take it up a notch or take it up a couple of years because of how long my mother was in control of my music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, advisory, you know, control yeah, is a pretty she, strong know, word. She's, I used uh, to joke about I didn't hear certain music um, until I got to middle school. Like I used to hear, you know, a lot of country music before mm-hmm. um, six in seventh grade and then when I got to sixth and seventh grade it was more so just being introduced to rap and Mm R&B because I hadn't listened to that before Mm -hmm. Um, and so at that point it was more so like a learning but by the time I got to like really understand all the different type of genres of music and and picking what I really liked Mm -hmm. I would say my first like this is my artist is Alicia Keys. Mm. This is my artist she knows me she's singing to me (laughs) (laughs) she's singing about my life and it's it's Alicia Keys. Sometimes I feel good. At times I feel used. Loving you, darling. Makes me so confused. I keep on falling in and out. Of love with you. I never love someone. The way that I love you. And how did that play out like in your day-to-day life? Like did you you go to your room? Did you is it record player? Is it CD CDs? player now? CD yeah, I, player. I definitely headphones or are you blasting it so the whole house can hear? CD player, um, I was in what my aunt we used to call the dorm because the back of the house it was more teenagers. <laughs> so blasting loud, um, blasting. as loud as I could have it. Mm-hmm. That's great. What was the go to Alicia Keys song? Of course, Fallen was my jam mm. all the way. Um, I probably had been in love one time at that point, mm. <laughs> but I felt it. Uh, <laughs> that was it. 
Oh, I like when she these, was the first uh, concert young... I went to as well. Oh, really? Oh, How that's was a that? great first Where concert. did you see them? Or where did you see her? Um, in New Orleans at the Mahalia Jackson Theater. Mm, wow, that's a pretty sweet first mm. concert. Yeah, that that's a good first concert. I was going to say, I love it when these uh, young contestants get on American Idol or The Voice and they're like, you know, this has been my biggest dream my whole life. And they're like 14 years old, right? So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> my whole life. My whole life. All, all, all four 14 years, years of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know if, I, you know, the first four years really count. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No. Very true. Cool. So let's talk, um, let's talk a little bit about how do you transition from TEDx speaker kind of into coach and mm -hmm. cultural transformation, kind of consultant expert. How, what does that look like? I think a lot of people are interested in that type of journey. Um, yeah. But I, and I imagine at some levels it's, it's like a glide path and then some things are roadblock, roadblock. How did you experience it? Well, it's it? pretty, I would say it's pretty fluid. Um, mm -hmm. There's a couple of people actually, you know, after the TEDx that came up and, and wanted to, you know, talk about coaching, mm. um, wanted to talk about now they felt ready to go to therapy. And so... <laughs> The, the the inspiration that the, that a TEDx can glean really I feel like is a good entryway to mm -hmm. any type of coaching situation or like a training consultation on what's happening in your company culture, especially when it comes to the topic of change and um, you know being authentic to yourself, which right. is which is really my focus. And so when we think about company culture and how your people show up on a day-to-day -day basis and what your goal and your missions are, how do those things show up in their actions and how are you then promoting them through mm. your own actions? Mm -hmm. And all of that can be intertwined into a, one, learning of the base and then deciding what is it that you need to change within your system, within yourself to get mm. to where you want your company to be. So let me give you like a, a real life example and see if you've come across something like this. So I was listening to uh, uh, Ben, I forget his last name. He's the CEO of MailChimp. And, you know, MailChimp, you know, was, you know, he, um, he grew the company from infancy to where it is today. And so they, you know, they didn't go out and get VC money or anything like that. And, and you know, the MailChimp culture early on was, you know, really and you know really predominant people came to work at MailChimp because of the culture but somewhere along the lines as it grew there was in a pretty well documented kind of walkout of women um I think like eight women all resigned mm. at once because of of a culture of not being inclusive and you know it really like shocked the CEO because he you know, and, and he described it as, you know, culture was one of those things that we were so good at mm -hmm. that, like, we kind of quit paying attention to it because it's like we got that, right? And we need to worry about growing the business and other stuff because the culture is cool. And and they, you know, f 
to close that story up is they very publicly came out and talked about, you know, hey, we're doing a whole culture reset. You know, they you know met virtually almost every employee in the company, the executive team, and took notes and and kind of leaned into the situation to mm. kind of reset their culture. But um, have you run into stuff like that? I it comes up a lot in in my business. I, I work with um, private equity. So it's all mergers and acquisitions, right? So, you know, all their charts and stuff, everything is financially based, but they spend mm -hmm. a lot of time talking about protecting cultures, merging cultures. What is that going to look like? How do we do that successfully? So I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on company culture. Yeah, so the biggest thing with that, especially when you when you talk about growth and and mergers and acquisitions, is the recognition of people drive culture. And so when you're putting people that really drive the culture that you want further away from the people that need to also be living out that culture, you miss something. And so that's where the communication has to come in. That's where the very intentional one, how are we hiring? You know, how are we training people? How are we communicating what our culture is? And how do we then define it? Because if we don't define it in a way that it's going to be understood by the ones that need to live it out, then you're going to have a lot of misses. Um, and, and there's a really, I feel like, important piece to recognizing that the culture is only going to be sustained through the individuals. And so you can't just expect that because I feel this way and want this and I exude this as a leader, that when I leave the room, my people are also going to feel this way and exude this. So you have to be very intentional about making sure that everyone's on the same page and then having processes and supports that uphold that culture. You know, sometimes a lot of people don't recognize what your, you know, your actions are related to the things that you value. And so if my actions include a lot of verbal check-ins with my team, they include a lot of supporting what everyone has to say through responding to emails to everyone and doing things of that nature, it's going to show up. But if my values are really more so metrics-driven, then I'm only responding to what's on these documents and I'm not mm. responding to people's words. So recognizing where your values lie, what actions you then display because of those is going to be your key to like helping your culture to grow with the company. Cool. Excellent. That's really amazing. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and uh, get into a little bit more. How about that? Sounds good. Hi, my name is Ami Quiriconi, and I'm the author of The Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business, What Every Woman Needs to Know to Be a Courageous, Authentic, and Unstoppable Entrepreneur. This is not a business book that tells you how to set up your legal structure or how to post on social media. Instead, I discovered during my 20 years of entrepreneurship successes and terrible defeats that I was self-sabotaging and holding myself back. That's when I found out that if we want long-lasting success in business and nothing else we've tried has been working, then it's time to grab a shovel and dig a little deeper into the reasons why. So if you're just starting out or have been in the entrepreneurship game for a few years and you want to do better, grab this book. It's available in paperback and audio. Because if you can be anything you want to be, why not be fearless? Okay, we're back with Lauren, 
And uh, we've been talking about her musical influences and kind of her journey into coaching and to, uh, consulting on culture for businesses and being a TEDx speaker. Um, so, Lauren, while we're while we we still got you here and we're talking a little bit of music, and I know Jeff has got uh, a concert he wants to bring up. I want to ask you. You told us your first concert was Alicia Keys. What was the mm -hmm. last concert you saw? The last concert I saw was Maxwell, also hmm. in New Orleans. Oh, wow. Yep. How was that? What, was that it pre was or really post-COVID? Uh, it was when? That was fall 2019, right mm -hmm. before COVID. Right before COVID. Super spreader event. Yes, it was. <laughs> I, I, I definitely, I, I attended the Mardi Gras that I feel like was the oh, downfall boy. of... New Orleans My for niece COVID, was there. unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. yeah I want to talk about a concert. We talked a little bit about your kind of coming-of-age artist. So my son, he's 18, so he's a little passive, but one artist that he is uh, locked into for a few years now is 21 Pilots. And so he and I got to see them maybe three years ago, and then they came back through town, and, we got, and I got to go with him and his girlfriend. I was like the third nice. wheel, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we saw them here at the State Farm Arena. They, I don't know if you guys know this band, 21 Pilots, but I, they have figured out modern music marketing. Mm -hmm. There is like a storyline that goes through, you know, Vince, you would like this because it's almost Led Zeppelin-y. The storyline that goes through all their songs and these different albums and there's these characters that arise so the first time we went to this concert of course i look totally out of place and my son looks cool but we get there and everybody had on like camouflage trench coats with yellow duct tape <laughs> and we're like immediately we stand out as being losers and so we actually acquired some <laughs> yellow duct tape but there's essentially there's the, the in their lyrics and there's like auxiliary information that there's this weird you know, almost like a rebellion. And if you have on yellow duct tape in this story, it makes you invisible to the bad guys. So we participated in that. And so, and then, so this last one, we were a little more prepared. Now it's not yellow, although there were some people there with yellow and I kind of looked down on them and thought, oh, you're like, you know, you don't know what's good. The new one was there was pink and yellow and particularly, and I never understood why, wear them on your fingertips. So I had a little pink duct tape and then, and then not, not, it was pink and blue, pink and blue. And it was so, it was awesome. But so they had that figured out. And then they, I mean, A, they write great tunes, like there's good melody and everything. And they, they just did a great job. But you know, the whole strangeness of it, that's like on the internet and there's these clues and you can find things. And it's like, you know, you, when you take a first marketing, you know, class, they want to talk about how you want to tell a story and you want to mm -hmm. find your tribe and you want people to feel like you're in, you know, they're in your tribe. And man, these people, 21 Pilots, they have figured that out. And it was awesome. Yeah, that's my Yeah, I've never favorite. really listened to a band that's got like a backstory or characters associated. You don't with have it, to, you know. but you don't have to. Hey, you listen to joking. Kiss and they, just, they're all that. This, these guys joking. are like <laughs> these guys are like Kiss if Kiss knew how to write good songs. Okay. They, they're like that's the twenty one pilots. That's what they are. <laughs> Wonderful. Vince, what all was right. your like you you have we talked about your most recent concert? 
I, uh, I don't know. Um, so my first concert was when I was 12 in 1979. I saw Kiss at the Lakeland Civic Center on their Dynasty tour. What, where is Lakeland? That's, uh, that's the home of Miss Budweiser. It's in between Tampa and Orlando. No oh, okay. <laughs> they used to have a big sign, home of Miss Budweiser, which is a boat, not a human being. And, oh. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Miss Budweiser is like a race boat. And the, uh, but I just remember that because they always had a big billboard that said, Lakeland, home of Miss Budweiser. The, uh, and my last <laughs> concert was uh, the Kiss End of the Road Tour, which we, uh, which oh, we, we did, did up. Yeah, we did that all the way. I took my daughter, and we, um, you know, did the backstage experience to yes. get the uh, stage played guitar wow. signed and autographed, which is behind me right now. It's your, it's yes. your number one prize. If if there was a fire at the house, I think you'd probably go in and, and get your son, but then you'd get the guitar before the rest of the family. I feel like they they can fend for themselves. You need to help your son, but you got to get the guitar. Right. You got that. I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> terrible. You got to get the. You got to get the guitar. guitar. You got to get, get the, the guitar. Got to get the guitar. Which is, you know, I have to get the case to get the guitar. The case, get so, guitar so you guys got to hustle. You got to hustle, right? right. So, Priorities. Before no time, damage. No time to spare. <laughs> All right, excellent. Well, let's do this, Lauren. Let's. Uh, we're going to go into a speed round and in post production, we take actually some of Jeff's original music and put it behind, uh, put it behind the questions. And I'm okay. just going to ask you ten quick hitting questions and just you know first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'll do my best. <laughs> All right, uh, celebrity you look most like. Hopefully, Beyonce. <laughs> Favorite cartoon? It used to be Tweety Bird. Anything with Tweety Bird in it. Okay. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Invisibility. Favorite fruit? Pineapples. Is corn syrup the death of America? Yes. (laughs) Coolest car you've ever owned? A... Jeep with the zip-off top. Jeep Cherokee with the zip-off top. All right. Cryptocurrency or gold bullion? Gold bullion. Shrimp oil or crawdaddies? Uh, crawfish. Go-to alcoholic beverage? Fridge 75. Favorite Adam Sandler movie? I have no idea. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, what's the one where he was Jeff a caddy? <laughs> Happy Gilmore. He was a golf Happy player. Happy Gilmore. Okay, that one. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, how'd she do? Well, I think she got eight out of ten, but then I'm going to give her an extra eight points for extra credit because she corrected Crawdaddy to Crawfish. Yes. Thank you. I was, so, thank you. I was determined not to correct yeah. anyone's, but yep. just saying it the correct Daddy. way. Right. <laughs> you must have read about that uh, somewhere. You never really <laughs> ate. No one's ever eaten a Crawdaddy because the people that yep. cook Crawfish would never call them a Crawdaddy. They, no. It's I, like an under... I, I just, I've seen a big display of them at, at, at Mardi Gras in New Orleans at right. a private party, and they had this like gigantic, gigantic tray 
of crawfish Thank you. that yeah. uh, I would not be uh, sucking no heads on. So uh, that, would, <laughs> that would not be happening. You're missing out. You're, You're missing, missing out. out. And I set you up for the water boy to bring you home to Louisiana. Water boy. But, yeah. But you, oh, water boy. Yeah. yeah. Oh my. Just a, not that's, yep. Wasn't going to get yeah, that one. Wasn't going to get there. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. All right, let's get into Culture Corner, Vince. I think you had a topic you wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. So we were um, uh, this kind of tossing around like, uh, you know, Offer letters, and maybe you know. I think a lot of people, right? People always receive offer letters when accepting jobs, and and I think offer letters come with a certain amount of angst, like uh, you know, angst how long the the person writing them or the person receiving them, or both. Like what? Probably think? both. I'd say probably a little bit more of my experience in the person receiving them from. You know, did I commit to this? They really commit to this. Is this negotiable? Is it non-negotiable? Mm-hmm. What do mm-hmm. I do with this information? How do I respond? How do I feel like I'm getting everything I should be getting? That's uh. And how that's does that. it? Uh, I want to hear about because I feel like you maybe more than Lauren and I are on the uh, creation side of offer letter. I mean, I've I've given my share of offer letters, but it seems like there was always somebody much more well-skilled than I trying to actually write the verbiage and, and, and whatever. But, and I perceive a little bit that that maybe is you, right? You're, you've been in HR and recruiting and all that. And so is there a form that you like? Does every company have their own form or what does HR have leeway and, and how creative, or is it all, is the goal just to be super standard and dry, cut and dry, no problems. It's just a standard thing. Well, I think HR is uh, cut and dry and standard and tries to remove as much gray area as possible. Now, I can tell you from uh, the recruiting side, right, and, and the process of locking down candidates and the process of, of locking down companies on the candidate, I try to keep as much flexibility mm. as possible, right? From, okay, here's where I think we should be on both sides, you know, client and What's the, what's and, the and craziest candidate. thing you've ever put in or seen in an offer letter? Crazy. I don't know if I've ever seen anything um, crazy in offer letters. I, I had had people continue to negotiate offer letters. Mm-hmm. And, right, so I think there's an expectation that, you know, okay, we're leaving a little bit of room for negotiation, right? I think almost everybody kind of has that. Okay, they come back and they ask for more. What are we willing to do? Where are we at? But I, I have had a candidate come back like multiple times and continue to try to up it. But then, when, you know, there's a uh, there's a balance to that because then they right. feel unreliable, right? It's like, eh, this right. person's making me uncomfortable. Right. And then as soon as all of a sudden it becomes uncomfortable, it becomes a pass, Probably right? Not. So it's a really de- delicate balance to that. What, so what's your advice to uh, job seekers out there? They just uh, should just t- take the offer letter or you think they got like one shot to try to negotiate or... Or, or what, oh what's yeah. Your well, advice? there's always there's always one shot. My advice would be is to talk to someone like myself, even if it's a friend, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if there's not a recruiter engaged in the process, that you know you bring it to a, a recruiter friend, uh, someone in, in kind of the human capital area, and just kind of get their opinion, share some thoughts. You know, someone, you know, because because having yeah, been at both sides of the table, I almost always can tell based upon the offer letter, you know, 
where I think there'd be flexibility and and go that route. And then it doesn't hurt to ask, right? So there's a way to approach it and and try to close it down. Cool. I have a quick little side story, maybe too long a rabbit trail, but we'll see. Uh, so I, I took over this team. This is at a company you and I both worked at. I took over this team. They had been kind of run poorly, maybe. Um, and like you know, there's like the myth in in leadership circles, like leaders versus managers. Oh, you'd be a good leader, but managers more like paperwork. Or you can be a great manager, mm-hmm. but you want to literally lead people. My personal opinion is you ought to be good at both, right? So anyhow, I, I take over this team, and there the management side was really shady and. There's just, they were like trying to do 24-7 and yeah, contractors and employee mixing on shifts and it was all confusing a little bit. So I took over. We didn't really have the money to do 24-7 on site. So we backing out of that. And this one guy who was an employee, like our second one-on-one, he says, well, you know, I think the company owes me about, you know, $15,000. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, well. You know, raises are coming up. You never know. You know, see what we can figure out. And so I'm like, well, how did you get to there? And he showed me this calculation, which essentially said, well, I was hired to work three 12-hour shifts. And now you got me working like 40, 45 hours a week. And so just times in my hours by that extra time is, you know, over nine weeks or whatever, you owe me 45, you know, you owe me 10, 15 grand. So I didn't think much of it. I go to HR. I go to my boss. I go to HR. They, of course, don't think anything of it. They like, just, I don't worry about it. Tell them that, right, you know, merit raises are next, you know, spring or whatever. And then, like a month later, he opens a Department of Justice case for, um, you know, breach of contract. And he had been promised this three times 12 hours a week, you know, and 36 hours, blah, blah, blah. And so now everybody's very interested in this. You know, the vice vice president, so my boss's boss, vice president of HR, we're all in this conference, so that's chief HR person, it's on the phone. And 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 so my boss is there and it's like, well, the problem is is that we switched from the da-da-da to the, you know, from 24-7 on site to this regular, and then the chief HR person says, No, the problem is whoever wrote this offer letter spelled out hours. And it says in the offer letter, you're gonna work three 12-hour shifts. Monday through Thursday from midnight to noon or something crazy like that. And it turned out it was my boss that had signed the offer. So that was the craziest thing. So we had essentially, we had to let him go back to the midnight shift and go back to three times 12. And then the the rest of the story. So about four months later, I went to HR and I'm like, can we lay off that position and write him a new offer letter? It's essentially, you know, a non-hourly wage implication. And, sh- and she's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great idea. Let's figure that out. And so we did. And that, that eventually resolved itself. But it was, uh, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen in an offer letter. Writing the hours for an, an exempt employee. Yeah, you got to, um, man, that would make me nervous. Uh, yeah. You know, having that person that's opening up, uh, uh, bringing that much attention to it, I mean, he could he could have started with just having an attorney, you know, spend two hundred yep. bucks and write and write a letter, and yep. that would have been probably enough. Well, you know, the you know the the lesson really is listen, you know, listen to the complaint, don't blow off complaints. I think I don't know for sure, but I think this company just paid him off eventually. I think he got his money. And oh told yeah, told him to shut that crap down. <laughs> yeah. 
I do believe that to be the wise move. So, Lauren, how can, we, how can people, I'm sure that there are people listening that want to hear from you and get in touch with you. And you know, people struggle with culture. And, pe- and I think an outside mm-hmm. view is, it's almost like a personal trainer in your workout um, your workout scenario, you get to maybe the edge of where you think you know everything, and then all of a sudden you realize, no, I feel like I know a lot, but there's I need an outside opinion. And I, yes. I sense that's kind of what you provide, and I think that's awesome. But So how do people get in touch with you? What's the right way to reach out and, and, and kind of make that happen? Definitely. Um, so I think the best way would be to go to you all's page, Meet the New Boss, and click on my... Um, connection there for Lauren Smith. So in, I'll be in LinkedIn. In LinkedIn, yes. Yeah. So Lauren Smith, but there's a million the, Lauren Smith. So that's why Lauren Smith. we were giving you a breadcrumb. People could also yes. connect to me. You and I are connected. And yes. so I, I don't know how many Lauren Smiths I'm connected to, but I bet it's fewer than are in, in LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, so I give my mom a hard time for that name. So uh, well, hopefully they can follow those breadcrumbs. <laughs> Yeah, I think that'll be great. And people can email me if you want to get in touch with Lauren. Just email me, and I'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. I think that'll be that'll be great. Beautiful. Okay. Well, I think that uh, that wraps up another fantastic episode of Meet the New Boss. Unless Lauren, you had an offer letter uh, tale you wanted to share with us. No, no offer letter tale. Um, I, I do think just kind of you know what you're talking about is a lot about being prepared. Number one, you know, like you said, do your research before when you um, are applying for something. And that way, when you get the offer letter, you have an intelligent way to go about responding and you don't have to do that back and forth that then is going to make them uncomfortable with you. You know, like know what you know, know your worth. And um, there shouldn't be much negotiating back and forth when you know your worth. I like that. Yeah, know your great. worth. If people can only get paid what they were worth. That would Ooh, be amazing. Yes, Jeff would be Jeff great. would be a billionaire today. No, I would I would be living in your basement. <laughs> <laughs> You're making, cooking the turkey dinner. I'd be I'd be yeah. your personal chef. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, everyone, and we will uh, catch you on the next episode of Meet the New Boss. Yep. Thanks a lot. See you, Lauren. Thank you. You have been listening to Meet the New Boss with Vince Catanzaro and Jeff Niebuhr. Available on Apple Podcasts and other streaming platforms. Please like and subscribe. Meet the New Boss is sponsored by Rene Vincent Executive Placement LLC. Contact Jeff at jeff.niebuhr at iCloud.com or find him on LinkedIn at Jeff Niebuhr. Contact Vince at vincent at renevincent.win or find him on LinkedIn at Vincent Catanzaro. Bumper music provided by The Who and Budafi. Additional engineering provided by Just-In-Time Recordings. All material 100% controlled by Vincent Catanzaro and Jeff Niebuhr. Unauthorized reproduction is prohibited by law. Meet the new bus. Drawn together by their mutual love of music, Jeff and Diane formed My Forever DJ during the 2020 COVID pandemic and went on a musical road trip. Traveling in the footsteps of Hank Williams Sr., Elvis, Bob Dylan, the band, the Rolling Stones, and Robert Johnson, 
they loaded up a mobile recording studio and, armed with Clorox wipes and a handful of masks, crisscrossed the South recording some of their favorite songs on location, on the side of roads, in honky-tonk parking lots, a hotel in New Orleans, in a shack at the crossroads, and anywhere they could find. The missing virtuoso in the recording. Really, that is the places. That is the route and the ride and the places. To me, that was really a strong pull uh, because I've had some history in New Orleans. I've had a little history in most of the cities we went to. The act of being in these places and spaces and was the missing virtuoso. And I think some people who listen to it get that because I would describe the finished product as jaunty in the sense that it is a little off. Uh, but hopefully when you listen to it, uh, you feel that sort of the vibe that we were going for. The results of this 1200 mile journey is their debut album, Southern Hotspots. Mark Drury of the Indie Shark says, my Forever DJ puts their road trip spin on classic tracks and by the end of the album, they feel wholly unique when put through such a different point of view. My Forever DJ is happy to take you along for the ride. Just be sure to bring some gas money. Somehow the dirt, you know, from Memphis to New Orleans, you know, maybe to Nashville or to Atlanta, man, all good things, <laughs> music come from here and it's just amazing and I, I think that's kind of the spirit of the project and I think that's the same reason why Mick and you know Keith came here in 69 is to get a piece of that dirt and rub it in their hands and you know you see like see you too did it what in 89 20 years later with Rat on Hum it's the same kind of thing um, and and you know what we're out there driving around and seeing you know mixing with the people and Stopping at the liquor store and the Walmart and the gas station, wearing our masks and the Clorox, and we, you know, it was just all part and part and parcel of that whole vibe to get to that, you know, to get to that exact moment. So that was great. Check them out on Facebook or myforeverdj.com. Hi, this is Diane. This is Jeff. And we'd love for you to check out our album. Southern Hotspots by My Forever DJ. And we're here where it all began last July on Lake, beautiful Lake Martin. Thank you guys.